So, you know, today, Christ the King Sunday really brings us to the end of a long journey that we've been on together, right? We've been on this long journey over this past 12 months as we've traveled through the Christian year. And, you know, we started out right at the beginning where we followed Jesus from his birth in the stable. We've walked beside him and in his footsteps through the dusty hillsides of Galilee. We've watched as he opened blind eyes and made lame to walk. We've got a chance to listen in as he preached to the multitudes, but we've also had a chance to hear his private conversations with his disciples. And we looked on in horror as he was crucified and in awe as he rose again from the dead on the third day. We've celebrated together the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We've reflected on the mission of the church and on what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And today, this Christ the King Sunday is the last Lord's Day of that journey together for this year and provides us a bridge to the new church year to come that begins next week on the first Sunday of Advent, where we will begin again a new lectionary excursion reminding ourselves once more of who we are and whose we are, and that's children of the King. And so because of that today, you know, it's a day to celebrate Christ as past, present, and future king over all of creation, and to really express our hope and our faith that one day soon, and very soon, as that song we like to sing says, we're going to see the king. And that, that's actually where our lectionary reading picks up today as we look at part of another letter written by the Apostle Paul, this time his letter to the Ephesians which kind of encompasses all of the things that we've been talking about all year long, but except this time now, kind of like a, a wide-angle camera lens, it zooms out to take in all of the things that we've been looking at together this whole year. So we're going to be reading from the book of Ephesians, uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 15. So hear now the words of the true and living God. Paul writes, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light, so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things with himself. That's a pretty heavy text to start out with, isn't it? So I'm going to back up a little bit and on a, a little bit of a lighter note. At our men's breakfast two weeks ago, Brother Ken Scott shared some funny true stories with the guys that kind of sparked this illustration. So if you don't like the story, He's the gentleman back there in the yellow, <clears throat> the yellow sweater. So he, he's responsible for this. But this particular, now remember, this is a true story. This particular man writes, he said, I worked for a while as a computer technician in a call center 
at their help desk for a Fortune 500 company, but he left the company unnamed. He said, our help desk was manned by 10 technicians, and we supported just under 2,000 people working on computers throughout the building. Anyway, he says this Monday morning, uh, a user called in saying he was unable to get his computer to boot up. So after spending almost 45 minutes trying to troubleshoot with him over the phone, I resolved that it sounded like either this user didn't know what he was doing and didn't know how to turn his computer on, or the power supply was completely dead and required a floor technician to verify that it was dead and to order a replacement. So he said, I sent a junior tech out to investigate and assist this user. But it's approaching 30 minutes later, and I hadn't heard back to them. And suddenly I get a call from the junior tech who verified, indeed, the computer wouldn't power up. In fact, there weren't even any indicator lights on. So after spending a little more than 15 minutes with him troubleshooting tech to tech over the phone and no results, I headed out myself to see what the problem was, figuring that either this junior tech didn't know what he was doing or there was a real problem. So he said, I traveled up these four flights of steps, got to the computer workstation, and after retrying everything we had already tried, all I could do was verify that this PC wouldn't power up. About another half hour later, the IT support manager sends down a senior technician to check on my work and, if necessary, order whatever parts were needed or replace the system right on the spot. So the senior tech gets there, arrives on the scene. He checked everything we had already checked, sounded like we had checked everything we needed to, and he was just about to begin replacing the system. But in the process of unhooking everything, he discovered that the power strip had been plugged into itself rather than into the outlet on the wall. <clears throat> <laughs> Can you believe that? I, I be, it sounds so incredible, it's hard to believe, but I, I, I can see that happening. And, and just by the way, when, since, since you laughed at this joke, my brother listens to the sermons and he said, you know, I think you think your jokes are a lot funnier than your people do, because <laughs> there's no microphone on you guys out here, so he can only hear me laughing. So we need to either get a mic on you guys or you need to laugh louder. But anyway, brother, they are, they are laughing. But see, it's hard to believe that could actually happen, right? But you know, it does happen. Not only in the physical realm, but metaphorically in the spiritual realm, because it happens in the lives of too many Christians, far too many Christians, who don't know or understand or don't appropriate the power of God that is available to them in Jesus Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote the most Urgent, practical question for every Christian is this. Are we aware of the fact that the almighty power of God is working in us? Do we realize that we are what we are solely and entirely by the grace and the power of God? Do we realize in our own personal lives and experiences that it is this exceeding great power of God that accounts for everything in the Christian life? And then he closed it out by saying, I press these questions again because I am convinced that the main trouble with most of us is our failure to realize the greatness of the salvation into which we have been brought and which we enjoy together. You know, you see, in the same way the Apostle Paul wanted Christians to understand the greatness of God's power that's at work in us, so he prayed in that verse 19 that we read, he said, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in 
He said, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you know, when Paul thought of the immeasurable greatness of God's power, he thought first and foremost of Christ's resurrection. Because, you know, if you think about it, for centuries past, before Christ, people had lived and, and died, and that was the end of their earthly existence, right? But when Jesus came on the scene, he predicted that God would raise him back to life again, that God would raise him even after he died. In fact, he said to his disciples in Mark 10, he said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed into the leaders and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They'll mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. And that's exactly what happened. But when you see a miracle like that, you have to ask, what kind of power could raise a dead person back to life? What kind of power? No earthly power could do that. Only a heavenly power could and did. When three days later, after Jesus had been crucified and buried, God raised him back to life. Kent Hughes, who's the pastor emeritus of Wheaton College, wrote, Just as the cross is the highest display of God's love, so the resurrection is the ultimate display of his power. But Paul wanted believers to know that God's great power was not only able to raise Jesus back to life, but that power was at work in us. Meaning that God's immeasurably great power that is seen in Christ's resurrection has direct implications for you and for me as believers. And the first of those is that God's power through Christ is saving power. If you remember from our sermon series earlier this summer in Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman Christians and said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that means that the greatness of God's power is available to save anyone, anywhere. No one who God intends to save is beyond His grace because no one is beyond God's power. Now you may say, well, pastor, you don't have any idea what I've done in my life. You don't know how great my sin is. You don't know what my struggles are. You don't know how dark my secrets are. And I say, you know what? I don't have to know any of those things because what I do know is that no sin, no struggle, no secret is beyond the greatness of of God's power that is demonstrated in Christ's death and resurrection. None of those things are more powerful than the work of our God. And the second implication of the text, really our second link flows naturally into that first idea because God's power also comes as a sanctifying power and enables us to live as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, later on in this same letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote, when I think of all of this, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience The love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. 
Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And then Paul wrote, Amen. And you see, when, when Paul thought of this whole idea, it just really blew his mind. You see that in his writing? But the problem is way too many Christians don't hook up, as it were, to the source. They're, they're only plugged into themselves and into their wants and their desires. So they just keep spinning their wheels and never really get anywhere because they aren't plugged in to the only source that can empower them to lead meaningful lives in this world and in the next. You see, the system's all in place. But it doesn't work if you don't understand how to use it. It doesn't work if you don't get plugged into it. That's why Paul prayed that believers would have, as he said, the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. You know, that's really the whole point of a day like Christ the King Sunday. A day to acknowledge God's power displayed in Christ's enthronement in heaven at his right hand. You know, Paul said, he said, now he, meaning Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And when you think about that, when Paul was talking about Christ being at God's right hand, to be at the right hand of a king was considered a position of privilege and, and honor and favor, and victory, and power, and brothers and sisters in heaven, that position belongs to Jesus Christ alone. So Christ is not only alive, he's not only alive today, but he's reigning right now, right this minute. We can't lose sight of that. I mean, there is a sense that we kind of are looking for that kingdom come for the culmination of all things, but for those of us who are in Christ, in a very real sense, you and I are living in the kingdom right now, right this minute, here and now. The early church recognized that, and we need to recognize it too. In fact, they saw that truth as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. For example, King David said in Psalm 110, he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Remember too, when Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin, before his crucifixion, he said that that prophecy of David from that psalm pointed directly to him. The high priest said to Jesus, he said, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you've said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming in the clouds of heaven. Preaching on the day of Pentecost, just 10 days after Jesus' ascension into heaven, the Apostle Peter concludes that long sermon of his in Acts 2. He says to the people, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And you know, that means that Christ's supremacy lasts for eternity and that all of his enemies and ours will be defeated. That's why we sing that great line from Martin Luther's Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress, the line that goes, The Prince of Darkness Grim, 
we tremble not for him. You see, we don't underestimate Satan. He's a powerful being, but we aren't to live in fear of him because Jesus Christ is reigning today as king. Paul said later in Ephesians, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So that means we don't have to fear demonic activity, but rather we have to keep ourselves vitally connected. We've got to keep ourselves plugged in to King Jesus. That's why James wrote, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But just like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, we have to do all those things in the right order. First of all, we have to get plugged in to the king. We have to submit ourselves to God. And then once God has brought us into that kingdom of his son by the power of his spirit, then we begin that sanctification process, that growing process where we surrender all of our lives, all of our personal agenda to Christ and to his lordship of our lives. And you know, as counterintuitive as that sounds, when we do that, when we actually get plugged into him, it frees us to live a life that is not only pleasing to him, but joyful and hopeful to us. And then and only then, we can put into practice that second part of the verse and resist the devil so he'll flee from us. And how do we do that? We do it by keeping in step with the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers and enables us to turn from sin and to do that which becomes a follower of Christ as we are plugged into him as the head of the church. Paul said God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ. And you know, that truth was so amazing, it caused John Calvin to say, this is the highest honor of the church, and what a consolation for us to learn that not until we are as one with him does Christ consider all his parts in place or wish to be considered complete. Can you imagine that? See, he wants all of us plugged into him and to each other. Paul also said Christ fills all things everywhere with himself. That's another important thing for us to remember because, you see, the church doesn't fill Christ. Christ fills the church. So in a practical sense, that means that Christ has given the church everything necessary to function in a way that glorifies him. That's actually one of the essential tenets of our congregational movement is that we have only one head of this church, and that's Jesus Christ. We don't need an archbishop or a senate, or a higher denominational authority. Because our congregational ancestors came to America on the Mayflower to reestablish a church in the New Testament pattern and principle. A pattern which is a fellowship of people who covenant together to follow Jesus Christ and him only. And those early Christians like we do believe that where even two or three are gathered together in the name and in the spirit of Jesus Christ, that his presence would be here that Christ would be with them so they weren't afraid to face anything. And so I ask you today, will you finish out this year in fear or in faith? And that's a tough question because our world is a frightening place, isn't it? Right? We see war and, and violence and terrorism. Families experience unpredictable setbacks in 
marriage and, and health and in business that keep all of us kind of on the edge of our seats. But, you know, our God is not standing in heaven wringing his hands. He never looks at the day's headlines and says, boy, I didn't see that coming. Right? No, our Christian faith is built on the conviction that our Lord Jesus Christ has a cosmic reign over the whole universe. His reign is supreme, and we don't need to wait for some coming day when his reign will begin. It's in place right now. It's right here and now in spite of any appearance to the contrary. Because if Christ is the Lord of your life, you and I are already living in that kingdom by faith. Faith in his incarnation and in his ministry. Faith in his suffering and death and burial and in his resurrection from the grave to ascend to the Father's right hand. You know, we don't just acknowledge that in a passive way, but instead we embrace Christ as Lord of all of our lives. And for those of you today that may be here, if Christ isn't the Lord of your life, but you hear his spirit knocking on the door of your hearts, now is the day to receive him. Today is the time. So you, I really want each of us to ask ourselves, is Christ our king today? Is he the Lord of our lives? And if not, as we pray, I invite you to receive him right where you are. But for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who has Christ as their king, I encourage you today in his name to be strong. Be strong in the kind of strength that lets you face the troubles of life with calm assurance. Be strong because your king and protector is the image and the fullness of Almighty God. Be strong in the faith of this world's demands because we answer to a higher authority. We can be strong in the face of darkness because you and I are children of a sovereign who lives in eternal life. And when the time comes, be strong in the face of death because we know that we have an eternal home in the heavens prepared just for us. So be strong today, brothers and sisters, because Jesus Christ is our King and He reigns. Amen? God, our Father, we thank you so much that you call us to this place. We thank you, Lord, that we have a day today that we can honor the reign of Christ, not only in the world, but in our lives as individuals. So we ask you, Father, that you would be with us now as you send us from this place, that you would just, to, Father, allow us to submit all of our lives to you. And for those, Father, who don't know you today, I, I ask, Father, that you would reach out to them right where they are, that they may come to know our Savior and our King, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.